John's Gospel, chapter 18. Tonight, Sunday night, through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And we pick things up here in chapter 18. As we mentioned last time in this particular section that we're looking at following Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane and prior to His crucifixion, that Jesus on that morning of His crucifixion was going to endure um, three trials. And a trial is essentially an examination. There would be two religious trials, uh, one by a high priest named Annas, one by a high priest named Caiaphas, and also by Pontius Pilate. And the purpose of the trials was in order to examine him, and the reason that the Lord allowed it to examine him, uh, to see if he was qualified uh, under these two examinations, two of them religious, one of them secular, if he was worthy of his claim to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and to also be a lamb, a sacrifice for our sin, who is without spot, and without blemish. And so we pick things up in verse 20. I know we ended last time by looking at Peter's uh, betrayal, but uh, here now uh, Jesus is being brought before uh, Annas. And Annas was the, there were two high priests at the time. Annas was the high priest that was uh, recognized by the Jews. He had a son-in-law by the name of Caiaphas who was recognized by the Roman uh, government. And the, and the Roman government wanted to divide that power a little bit so they could maintain some control so one leader wouldn't have all of that authority. A- uh, Annas was the one who had the money-making operation going on up on the temple that Jesus cleared out uh, at the beginning and at the end of his public ministry. And the high priest then asked, verse 19, The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and about his uh, doctrine. Uh, Here we're going to see one of the most embarrassingly inept um, interrogations in a court of law, so to speak, in human history. You don't put someone on trial unless you have a formal proven charge against them. You don't arrest somebody unless you have a formal proven charge Uh, against them and then put them on trial for whether they uh, should be arrested and put on trial. The cart is completely before the horse uh, here. And so this is a trial uh, that's in search of a crime and it's in search of a uh, a charge. And of course, any uh, even secular judge would be embarrassed to have any part in Uh, something is so backwards and illogical and and unbiblical according to the law of Moses as this trial of Jesus uh, was. Even worse than that, here you have Annas trying to get uh, Jesus through this interrogation, trying to get Jesus to bring charges against himself and then to testify against himself. Nothing right about what it is that's going on in this religious trial under Annas. Jesus answered him and uh, his question about his disciples and tell me about your disciples, tell me about your doctrine. And Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly in the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet and in secret 
I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I have said to them. Indeed, they know what I uh, said. And Jesus told them where they could go to find independent testimony as the law of Moses required in order to bring a charge against him uh, in this religious court of law. Go to the people who I've been talking to for three and a half years. They are in the land of Israel, north, south, east, and west. And go and ask them what it is that I have been uh, uh, teaching. And of course, Jesus recognized that if they hadn't been willing to find independent witnesses to what it was that he had uh, been teaching, that uh, this trial wasn't even remotely interested uh, in the truth. Jesus says, it is your responsibility to produce witnesses in this trial. It is not my responsibility. And so, of course, the truth of this, uh, the, the goal of this trial was not truth, uh, but uh, to somehow uh, get Jesus crucified unjustly. So he tells him he'd uh, spoken openly, uh, taught uh, uh, what he taught could be readily learned by uh, anyone that had listened to him. The absence of witnesses against him in this trial spoke to the fact that they couldn't find any. We know from one of the other Gospels they were going to uh, put two scoundrels up to bring an accusation against Jesus that wasn't really even an accusation about tearing down the temple and I will rebuild it in three days and I'm not going to get into uh, all of that right now. But it speaks to the fact they had great trouble and in fact were unsuccessful in trying to find any witnesses of wrongdoing in terms of Jesus's uh, teaching. And so uh, his innocence concerning false doctrine or wrongdoing was testified to uh, by that. And he tells them, I taught openly. Uh, and what he taught openly, he also taught privately. He was not engaged in some kind of secret subver subversion of the Jewish religious establishment. That's not what uh, the aim of his ministry was. The reaction of Jesus speaking to the high priest and with this kind of biblical clarity, and then when he Jesus had said these things, one of the officers, this is a religious officer uh, in the courtroom, who stood by, he struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. I do hope he, he repented somewhere down the line. Can you imagine bending the knee before Jesus one day, confessing him to be the Lord, everything that he said that he was, and I hit him with the palm of my hand for speaking the law of Moses. I mean, it's just an awful thing. And then he charged him, do you answer the high priest uh, like that? Of course, striking a captive on trial, totally contrary to the law of Moses. They have no concern at all for the law of Moses here at all, and no concern really uh, uh, for uh, for God. Jesus' response is given to us there in verse 23. He said, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, if I told the truth, then why do you uh, strike me? And so Jesus here uh, openly confronts all of them uh, with the 
uh, violation of the law of Moses that is going on from top to bottom uh, in this uh, trial. And so he confronts them with them. Uh, people are certainly free to reject Jesus. They do it every day. Uh, but here in this trial, he's not going to play any part in it. He doesn't back down at all. And, but he make his weapons, uh, uh, the weapons of his kingdom, of the kingdom of God, is truth and love. And so he wields those weapons powerfully uh, here in, in this uh, scene. So he poses the question and says, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why do you strike me? And so we automatically assume that there is a nanosecond of time that goes by between verse 23 and verse 24, but that's not the case. What was their response to his call to produce, uh, to, to find something wrong with what it is that he said, absolute uh, silence. Silence. He has silenced them with the Word of God in terms of what it is that they're doing here. And as a result of that, Annas going to cut his losses. He sees he's not uh, accomplishing anything here in, in terms of condemning Jesus. He then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. The fact that um, this moving Jesus from Annas, the high priest, recognized by the Jews, to Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, so quickly um, indicates that they're probably both had residences in the same compound where the uh, Jewish religious establishment was uh, centered in there uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem. And so he's taken to, to Caiaphas. Now Simon Peter, we saw as he, he stood outside and he denied. And then we jumped down into verse 28. Uh, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, uh, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, uh, but, they, but that they might eat the Passover. So we have no revelation in the book of John about Jesus' trial before uh, Caiaphas. Uh, John is not uh, interested in, in that in terms of what it is that he's laying out. And so uh, here we have the, the coming to the end of that trial. And now he is, and Caiaphas was no more successful than his father-in-law Annas in, in establishing any charges to bring to Pilate as a means of, of even incarceration, let alone uh, the execution of Jesus. And so now they come to the praetorium. The praetorium was the the palace uh, of, uh, of the Roman governor that was there, of, of Pilate. And, uh, and so they, uh, they, they bring him here to this official uh, residence, and uh, Jesus is taken, we're told, early uh, in the morning. They, the word that is used for early there, it's used te technically it's used of the fourth watch, which is between uh, three in the morning and six in the morning. So this meeting probably occurred between the Jewish religious leaders and Pilate uh, before six o'clock uh, in the morning. And, uh, and it appears that Pilate is completely prepared for this meeting. They don't have to wake him up and get him out of his jammies or anything. 
Uh, he's prepared to, to meet with them as soon as they get there. And so this has evidently been prearranged by the religious establishment saying, we are going to come, bring a prisoner to you that is a danger to Rome, and you need to be ready for this. And, and Pilate uh, was uh, ready for this dangerous criminal that they were bringing to him. It's interesting that the Jewish religious leaders didn't want to enter into Pilate's uh, palace. Uh, the rule or the tradition among the Jews was that uh, you, uh, the dwelling places of Gentiles are unclean. So according to their tradition, not according to the law of Moses, according to their tradition, to come into contact with anything that was Gentile would render you unclean for seven days. The Passover is right around the corner here uh, in the, in the uh, sequence of events here. They were right on, on top of it. None of them wanted to violate that tradition and then somehow feel like they had rendered themselves ceremonially unclean uh, by coming into contact with anything uh, that was Gentile. It is an amazing uh, blindness uh, that they have. Here they are, and they know it. They are attempting to arrange the death of an innocent man. They're endeavoring to arrange the uh, death of the very Son of God, a claim of Jesus that, that through two trials, they were unsuccessful um, in uh, making those clear to be, that, that claim to be uh, false from the lips uh, of Jesus. And yet, and here, they, they've got this, the, the wickedness of that kind of a heart, and, and yet here they are uh, so worried about being ceremonially unclean. And this is uh, what happens when uh, your religious practices become uh, totally disconnected from God, and their religious practices had become totally disconnected. Pilate went out, and, and this is a, 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 a consent on his part. He knew the game that was going on here. So he went out to meet them, knowing they wouldn't come in. And he said, what accusation do you bring against this uh, man? And so, uh, naturally enough, Pilate has been informed, evidently, we're bringing this dangerous criminal to you for the good of Rome, etc., etc. And so his first question is, what is the accusation of the charge that you bring against this, this uh, one you accuse of, of being a criminal. Their answer in verse 30, they said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up uh, to you. <laughs> what judge is going to accept that? I mean, they just expect everybody to be as is, is, uh, dumb and, and as um, blinded as they are. Unfortunately, Pilate's going to fall right into the pit. Uh, but this is the, this is the, the, the most of it, an accusation they could bring against Jesus was no accusation at all. And so they, there is this um, attempt to intimidate Pilate on the basis of being offended. Um, how, how could you even question what the charge is against him when men of such integrity as us are bringing this criminal uh, to you. And it's intended to put Pilate on his, his back uh, 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 foot, uh, uh, of course. 
and uh, they're at a loss for words, no charge to bring uh, against uh, Jesus, no religious charge, and uh, even before Pilate, they have no secular or charge of him concerning Roman wrongdoing. And then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. So he sees through uh, this lack of logic, uh, this farce that is going on in front of him, he sees through it immediately, and he brings them back to logic, and that is, if you have judged him of wrongdoing according to your law, uh, then you should take care of it yourself and don't involve me in it. And, uh, and so he's able to kind of rebuff this uh, attempt to intimidate uh, or by their uh, offense. And uh, in other words, if you're, if you're not interested in my assessment and you've already made up your own minds, uh, then you judge them according to your law. You go finish whatever it is that you've started here, uh, but keep me out of it completely. Their response was, therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone uh, to death. Ah, that's what we're dealing with here concerning this. The issue is not justice. The issue is not a violation of Roman law or a violation of religious law. We're trying to use you as a means of executing uh, this man. And, uh, uh, and, and the idea is that, that we wouldn't even be involving you in this at all if, if we had the right of capital punishment, which the uh, Romans deny us. If we had the right of capital punishment under Roman rule, he'd be under a pile of stones right now. And the Romans allowed their provinces to have a tremendous liberty and latitude in how they conducted their life. But one thing they kept firmly in their grasp was the right to capital punishment. Capital punishment always had to go through Roman judicial system, and it had to be carried out uh, by uh, the Romans. And so uh, they're saying, we found him guilty, we want him put to death, uh, but we don't have the right of capital punishment under Roman rule, and, and so we ask you to uh, sentence him to death and, and to crucify him. And Pilate, at that point, he becomes fully aware of uh, the manipulation that's going on all around him. And, and he was savvy enough as a leader, anybody could look at this and realize, I should just turn on my heels right now, walk back into the praetorium, shut the door, and pull the plug on, on everything. The, the, the level of manipulation that is going on uh, here in, in this uh, situation. And then John records the fact that all of this uh, the saying uh, of Jesus might be fulfilled, that is, that he would be put to death, which he spoke signifying, but by what means he would uh, die. Again, in the Old Testament scriptures, the scriptures were clear that when the Messiah came into the world, uh, uh, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, that he would die. This was unthinkable to the Jews, but it was in the scripture. 
here they are doing it. And that the Messiah would die, and that he would die by means of crucifixion. And that had, had to mean that God would bring Messiah into human history, into the Middle East, at a time in which the world-ruling empire, uh, who had sovereignty over Israel, uh, used crucifixion as a means of capital punishment rather than uh, stoning, which would have been the ways uh, of the Jews. And so here you see uh, them bringing Jesus to Pilate in order that he might be crucified, thinking that they're going to be rid of him as a result of it, and they don't even realize they're fulfilling Scripture in what it is that they're trying to uh, accomplish here. And so uh, Jesus had uh, prophesied and spoke of the fact that he would be crucified. That would be the means uh, of his death, uh, all of it again in the Old Testament and, and all of it being fulfilled uh, uh, here. Now later, uh, the, uh, later on the Jews would uh, blatantly and openly stone the first martyr of the early church, Stephen, uh, but uh, Stephen didn't have the popularity or the name recognition uh, that Jesus did. They weren't willing to incur the, the wrath of the common people or even Rome and in taking it in, into, their, uh, into their hands. And then Pilate, when uh, he uh, heard these things, he then entered into the praetorium again, and he called Jesus, and then now begins this exchange between uh, Pilate and Jesus, the trial of Jesus. It's really the trial of Pilate before Jesus, but here's the trial of Jesus before Pilate in a, in a surface kind of uh, manner. Pilate poses the question to him, are you uh, the king of the Jews? And uh, that was uh, the accusation that was being made uh, against him. He makes himself a king, uh, uh, and, and as, as a result of declaring himself to be king and king over a kingdom, he is a threat to Roman rule. He is guilty of treason and in, insurrection. So Pilate poses uh, the question, and so probably poses it with all sincerity, uh, trying to determine what kind of a danger. They brought him to me. He must. Uh, <clears throat> my only involvement in this would be if, uh, if he is a danger to Rome or to Roman law. And so he's going to establish uh, that. Are you the king of the Jews? That word you in verse 33 is emphatic. And it means that when, Je when Pilate looks at Jesus, he says, are you the king of the Jews? He's amazed when he looks at Jesus. It's been a hard night for Jesus. Up all night, praying, sweating as it were, great drops of blood. In both of the, uh, both of the Jewish tr uh, religious trials, he's been beaten uh, as a result of it, his clothes torn and, and all of this. And he's, he's looking, he's there, are you the king of the Jews? Are you? They bring you as an evidence of a revolutionary uh, against Rome? Are they, are they pulling a joke on me here and what, what it is that they're, uh, they're doing? And so there's that uh, emphatic side of, uh, of what, what he's saying. It just, even the charge seems ridiculous to him at this point. And Jesus answered and said, are you speaking for yourself about this? 
or uh, did others tell you this concerning me? And so, are you posing this question to me to uh, clarify uh, the accusations of others, or do you want to know personally whether I am uh, the king of the Jews? Jesus does not deny that he's the king of the Jews. He, he just wants to understand Pilate's motivation in asking uh, the question. Pilate responds in verse 33, am I a Jew? I, what do I know about being a Jew? Uh, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered to me. What have you uh, done? And so Pilate didn't see uh, how this question uh, 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 that Jesus posed to him could be of any concern to him uh, not uh, being a Jew himself. And so he hadn't arrested uh, Jesus. Jesus had been delivered to him. Pilate asked Jesus what he understood to be his wrongdoing and the eyes of the people that have uh, arrested him here. I don't, I'm not interested in the internal disputes of the religious community among the Jews, even as a governor of, of, of Israel. I'm only concerned with violations against Roman uh, law. And when Pilate speaks here, and he says, am I a Jew? And then, and then he speaks the next, next sentence. The original language indicates annoyance on his part. And so... He's, he's upset already with what he's in the middle of. He knows this isn't right. He knows he's being played. And he's frustrated uh, at, at uh, this thing that's been thrown on his lap as a, as a busy man in this high religious season uh, of the Jews. And, and he uh, takes his frustration out uh, uh, on Jesus, his frustration over being manipulated by the Jewish religious leaders. Je Jesus answered in verse 36, and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. I have a kingdom. If I have a kingdom, I'm a king. So he answers the question, I am both a king and a king of a kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, uh, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not uh, from uh, here. And so Jesus uh, readily declares himself to be the king and, and to possess a kingdom, a kingdom made up of Christians uh, all throughout human history, all the Christians in the world uh, today, everyone who has voluntarily brought themselves under the headship, under the lordship and kingship uh, of God as a result of putting our faith uh, in, in Christ. Second, he declares here that even though he was the king of a kingdom, uh, he's telling Pilate, uh, my kingdom is no threat to the Roman Empire. Uh, it, is, it is no threat uh, to uh, being producing any kind of political insurrection. Uh, among uh, among uh, uh, the Romans, and and this was evidenced by the fact that 
His disciples didn't follow, uh, fight for him on any uh, significant kind of level at his arrest by, by the Jews. Peter uh, uh, tried to make a fight of it, and Jesus uh, brought an end to it. And so here is Jesus again talking about the, the two great weapons that, by which that we use in the world for the advancement of the kingdom of God, that is truth and love, and he continues to use those uh, powerful weapons and uh, in this conversation with Pilate. He tells us, and you notice that word now at the, near the end of verse 36, but now my kingdom is not from here. One day Jesus will establish his kingdom on the earth known as the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ. One day there will be no other government but His on the earth. But presently, and at the time He was before Pilate, uh, that uh, isn't in place yet. We long for it, uh, but it's not in place just yet. Pilate then said to him, uh, and he's following in the conversation, it's wonderful, he said, uh, are you a king uh, then? And now he's just asking Jesus for absolute clarity here uh, on, uh, on the issue. So uh, how in the world can a kingdom exist without the use of force? And so he, he's not getting at how someone like this, who looks like this could be a king, and you could have a kingdom uh, that doesn't use force to establish itself and then, uh, and then to maintain its control. Are you a king then? Jesus answered and said, you rightly say that I am a king. He affirms him. For this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world that, everyone, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my uh, voice, declares there that he uh, was at once born into the world, and having come into the world uh, from somewhere else in that birth, that is, uh, from, from heaven. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 brings out this same truth, for uh, unto us a child is born. That's Jesus' birth from the human side of things, the, uh, emphasizing his humanity. He was born as a, a child, fully uh, man, into the world. And then Isaiah goes on, for unto us a child is given, speaking of his uh, deity, speaking of the fact that he pre-existed his birth and he came from somewhere else other than uh, this earth. And so he came into the world uh, as, a, as a king with the purpose of establishing a kingdom and to bear witness to uh, the truth. And, uh, and his mission was to testify of the truth. What is the truth about God? What is the truth about man? What is the truth about the emptiness and the loneliness and the guilt that we feel? What is the truth about salvation? What is the truth about the forgiveness of sins? Uh, what is the truth about uh, human history? How it began and, and how it's going to end? He came into human history to provide us with the truth that we could never know any other way apart from revelation from, from God. And then he declares that everyone who is of the truth will hear his voice. In other words, Jesus' teaching and his truth never puts him on trial in any meaningful way. 
it always puts every one of us as human beings on trial on the basis of how we respond to his truth. And Jesus doesn't back away from that uh, at, at all. If, it, it, that's exactly what you would expect of anything that is actually true. Anything that is actually true tests us. We never test uh, it in any kind of, of ultimate uh, uh, way. And so uh, uh, Jesus here uh, speaking of the truth and those who will listen to the truth. And if I love the truth, I'll uh, make Jesus my Savior. I'll make him my King. If I refuse to, then it's just a revelation that my life is not really about. It's not supremely about uh, truth. It is about something else. That's what Jesus is communicating. It isn't until a person wants truth and wants truth about the biggest questions in life uh, that a person will come then to accept the truth that Jesus uh, speaks and is provided uh, to us. Pilate then responds to this claim of uh, possessing and imparting truth, he said to Jesus, what is uh, truth? Now, the, the great tragedy here of this interaction at this point between Pilate and uh, between Jesus is Pilate poses the question and then he doesn't wait for the answer. And, and that, is, that is a... Uh, that not only costs Pilate, uh, but it costs us in terms of knowing how, how Jesus would respond to uh, so direct a question as, as Pilate posed uh, uh, to him. And so we'll never ever know what Jesus would have said to him in response to that question. But if you're going to ask uh, that question, what is truth? especially when you're going to ask it of God, especially uh, of Jesus, who is uh, the way, the truth, and the, uh, the life, then a person ought to wait then uh, for uh, the answer. And Pilate makes the terrible mistake and decision that so many uh, do. They spend their entire lives asking questions. Uh, 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 Jesus would readily answer but they fail to bring those questions to him or to listen to his answers from the word uh, if they uh, do ask him a question. Jesus is not afraid of a single question any of us could ever pose to him. If we pose the question honestly, I, he'll never say like I would need to, to say sometimes, can you give me a day to figure that out? Or give me a little bit of time to research that. He will never come to him and get that kind of a response related to the questions that we would uh, pose to him. He's not afraid of a single honest question that anyone would ask of him. But you have to want an answer. And you have to want an answer uh, long uh, enough to wait for that answer. I personally don't think that Pilate is being uh, flippant here. Uh, or sarcastic here at all when he says what is truth to me and I could be wrong uh, maybe he is being flippant and sarcastic to me he just sounds tired sounds like the subject has uh, worn him out on whatever level he's tried to deal with it uh, in in his life 
And so here you have the uh, position of any man or any woman who is in a position of great authority and great responsibility, and that responsibility and authority puts them into contact with all kinds of, of people, all kinds of claims about truth, whether they are secular claims or religious claims, and, and then after a long diet of this, you just conclude there is no truth. The only thing there is to do in human history is to put band-aids on the problems uh, that arise in, in human history and in life, do the best we can, and hope you die before the whole thing blows up. And, and, and uh, I think that that great theme of truth has worn them out, and I think it does in so many in, in life. You take, all you have to do is just take a, a, a college course or two on philosophy or read a handful of books on, uh, on the subject, then throw in a couple of classes on comparative uh, religion and, and see if it doesn't leave you in much the same place. An absolute sense of hopelessness that there is any universal spiritual or philosophical truth uh, that exists. And yet Jesus says, I've come into the world to deliver truth to uh, the world. And Jesus promised that if the truth is really what uh, a person is after, verse 37, then we will find it in his voice. And to just grab a Bible, read through the Gospels, and, uh, and begin to examine not only his teaching, but also his life. He lived the truth. See if I can find a fault uh, with that uh, in, in any way or a better, pl- a better way uh, to live. It's also possible that Pilate was cynical about the idea of anything being called uh, truth in an ultimate sense, or uh, it is just as possible that he didn't stay for an answer because he wasn't interested in an answer, because it might disrupt the life that he already had and was enjoying, uh, the life of sin and, and all of the future plans that he had for himself. And there is that large number of population that is in that place as well. Um, They will pick on a subject like something that God uh, prohibits uh, sexually um, in in the Bible, then make that the focus of the entire Bible within the culture, provide a certain kind of person who is not interested in truth with an excuse for uh, rejecting uh, the entire uh, uh, Bible, and but if the truth w- w- were made known, that the, uh, and a heart, a heart was being made known. No, I'm not rejecting the Bible or God of the Bible on the basis of those things. There's just a lot of sin I want to participate in, and there's a lot of things I'm enjoying about my life that I would have to give up to follow God, and I'm just not interested in doing that. And then. The dismissal, what is truth? Who knows anything uh, about truth? And then uh, they, they go on uh, their way. And of course, when you end up with a culture, which is increasingly our culture, that dismisses the idea of uh, ultimate truth, just as Pilate does here, uh, once you abandon the idea that there is ultimate truth that exists in, in the human condition and God has provided it to us, then you will end up justifying anything. You will be able to talk yourself 
into uh, anything, just as Pilate uh, uh, does here. You can find yourself committing absolutely heinous acts and things you never thought you were capable of, uh, just as he does with Jesus here. I remember I uh, would teach for years related to um, sexual purity, whether it would be homosexual or, uh, or heterosexual, what the Bible had to say, and then talking about the fact in terms of homosexuality. We are, as a culture in the United States of America, a nation, we have gone in terms of um, uh, the endorsement of sexual sin, we have gone to a place where no civilization in human history has ever gone. We are in uncharted waters. No nation or kingdom in the history of the world has ever been as arrogant as our culture in terms of defining these kind of, of things. And we would talk about uh, homosexuality being uh, an indicator of, uh, of a, 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 once a culture cannot recognize that homosexuality is a sin, that it is both unnatural in terms of how the human body interacts to engage in it, and it is also against the Word of God. And once a culture can reject that as an evidence uh, on a physical and then a spiritual level of right and wrong, then it can talk itself into anything. And, I, and it's been years since I taught in Romans chapter 2 related to this. And not, in, not, not me, not anybody I know of. I, I said, would say, once you okay that, then every other sexual practice is going to line up behind them and, and ask for an endorsement, uh, ask it to be endorsed by the culture, and you can't deny it because you've set the precedence. Who in the world knew that transgenderism was the next person in line? And, and I think there are real mental health problems and we're not helping people by jettisoning the idea that male and female created he them. Somebody, if I'm so confused that, that I am one sex down to my chromosomes, and I can convince myself that I am exactly the opposite sex, then I, more than anyone else, desperately need truth spoken by God, truth evidenced in the human body to keep me safe. So I know here is a point that I need to work from in order to manage what is obviously a difficult thing in my life. And I need to give my life to God in order for that to happen in the way that God uh, wants it, uh, wants to. But you see, once the, uh, the idea of ultimate truth uh, coming from God is gone, things, it's just a free-for-all. And that's why we're in the middle of the free-for-all uh, that, that we're in uh, uh, right now. Then Pilate in in verse 38, when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and he said to them, I find no fault in him. So he wanted me to try him, uh, and, and I've done that. Uh, there, I find no charge 
that, that rises to the level of Roman law in him. I find no fault in him at all. And he's going to repeat this over and over again in this series of, of events. Now, when he comes out and he says, I find no fault in him at all, he should again have turned on his heels, walked through the doors into the praetorium, and closed them and just divorced himself from whatever this thing is. He's tried Jesus. He has examined him. His conclusion is clear to him. He is innocent and ought to be released. He doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. The right time to always do the right thing is the first time I'm aware of what the right thing is. If I know what the right thing to do is in a situation, and I don't do it, then it becomes even harder to do the right thing the next time. It will never be easier to do the right thing than the first time I need to do the right thing. If I don't, it just gets harder and harder. And Pilate does not do the right thing here. And, and he keeps the door open that he should have closed, and he's going to end up with his name uh, being mud in, in human history. And it all starts right there. He could have stopped the manipulation. He could have stood there and said, this is the right thing. I'm out. It's done. And so far, we look at our own lives here tonight. God knows where. I'll look at all of our lives here. We're all in scattered all over. We've all got our own situations going on in our life. The world trying to manipulate us and pull us into compromise related to uh, the Bible, related to anything and everything. And, and when there comes that place, there are several things we want to pull from Pilate. I may not get to all of them here tonight, but to, to realize how much easier our life is if we would just do the right thing the first time. And if you're in that place where you got the, here's the right thing, but if I do the right thing, it's going to displease this group. It's going to potentially remove me. Uh, it'll lessen my uh, power or my cost of living or, or, or the life that I'm living or this, this kind of thing if I do this. And now it becomes a negotiation. Now, now it's no longer about right and wrong. Now it's become complicated. And, and we're as prone to do it as Pilate uh, does it. And so Pilate, what he does is he moves from being a judge here uh, in this situation, and uh, he now uh, tries to fix his uh, dilemma uh, by means of a, a, a political solution. So he says to the Jewish religious leaders, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. And do you therefore want me to release to you uh, the king of the Jews, uh, speaking there uh, of, of Jesus? And so there was the, uh, he tries to find the solution that's going to please everyone, uh, but anybody that ever tries to find a solution to Jesus, to define a Jesus that satisfies everyone, is going to be absolutely unsuccessful. And so he tries this political solution. They had a custom in those days, and it was a part where the Roman 
governor of Jerusalem and of Israel would, because of the great Jewish religious holiday of Passover, uh, he would release a Jewish prisoner to uh, the Jewish people as a mark of goodwill on the part of of Rome uh, toward the the Jewish people. Kind of a Passover gift uh, to give uh, uh, to them. And so what he does here is uh, he, he, he brings this up and, uh, and they all cried out again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. And now Barabbas was uh, a robber. Now, if Pilate didn't know he was in trouble at this point, now he really knows uh, that he is uh, in, in trouble here. We know that Pilate, in the gospel according to Luke, that Pilate suggests Barabbas as an alternative to releasing Jesus, and he picked the worst Jewish criminal uh, on, uh, in the Roman jail. He's guilty of, uh, of, of theft, guilty of insurrection, even guilty of murder. And so when he gives a choice to the Jewish religious leaders, these religious men that are supposed to care so much about God, of a choice between Jesus, the king of the Jews, and Pilate, it never enters his mind that they would ever call for Barabbas and that they would ever do that uh, publicly as a demonstration of the wickedness of their heart. And yet that is exactly uh, what it is uh, that, uh, that they do. And so at this point, he was intent upon uh, releasing Jesus. He fails to do it on the basis of principle. And, and, and uh, now he wants to do it under the, the banner of uh, political uh, expedience, expediency. And again, everything just keeps on going downhill uh, for him. And after one step, after, after a step, again, is an illustration of how much harder it becomes to do the right thing once I have failed to do the right thing over and over again. Um, here he is, he is searing his conscience in this whole process. He has all, all kinds of things going on in his mind other than looking at something with the simplicity that we're able to look at things and say, what is right and what is wrong here? And then to make, make that uh, decision. And so he continues to ignore his conscience here and and uh, uh, the, the peer pressure that is going on here, the manipulation that is going on uh, in, in this scene. It can cost us to do the right thing in our families or in life, but it will always cost us much more ultimately when we choose not to do the right thing because that's a leaven now that is going to get bigger and bigger and uh, more difficult to control as, as time goes on. And so Pilate uh, ends up, as we know from the other Gospels, uh, he releases Barabbas, and then as one uh, uh, commentator said related to, to this, I think it's very good, he said, the Prince of Peace rejected for an insurrectionist, thief and murder, and all we've known is insurrection, theft and murder uh, ever uh, sense. So he, Pilate, is a man who allowed the crowd to make his personal decision concerning what to do with Jesus. And it's the great 
danger of every human life today. Because usually when a person becomes a Christian, it will cost us in, in some way to do that. It'll put strain so often upon relationships. It can even cost us relationships. There's a price to be uh, paid in, in, uh, in, in doing that. But that can never enter into to our decision-making because we'll have to live with the decision and the consequences are eternal. There is no good reason for not becoming a Christian. There is no good reason for rejecting uh, Christ. And to stop and to look at my life if I'm in that place and say, what is the reason that I am rejecting uh, Jesus Christ for? And if it's for popularity, uh, for polling, what people think of me, that is a terrible thing to allow the influence of others to cause me to reject him. Because, because again, it, be, it is my personal decision, and I will then have to live with the consequences. But Pilate uh, doesn't do that, and he ends up rejecting Christ and releasing uh, Barabbas. I think that it's, uh, well, I'll stop there tonight, and uh, we'll pick things up right at the chapter break in uh, chapter 19, verse 1, as we'll look to move forward into it um, next week. Let's have the worship team come forward, and um, we'll spend a little time just meditating upon the Lord and worshiping Him as we consider these things that we've looked at tonight. I see this picture of Jesus, and we talk about um, Jesus being the truth and not only speaking the truth, but living the truth. And when you look at Jesus at all three of these trials, Annas, Caiaphas, and Jesus, and you look at him, it's perfection. It is absolute perfection what he does on that scene. I'm so proud of him for so many reasons. I mean, he's the hero, he's the one for so many reasons. But how he handled himself in this situation where he is uh, speaking, dealing with things, but still trying to reach out to Pilate through all of it so that he will make the right decision and never allows the, the circumstances, as unfair as they are, to uh, bring him into a place of sin or doing something that would be unseemly. We never have to turn to this scene in any of the Gospels and go, man, Jesus was just great everywhere, but he really lost it right here, and he went off on all of them. No, he's just as majestic as anyone could be as we would expect of him in, in this scene. What a wonderful Savior we have. Mike, would you lead us in a couple of worship songs?